my fairy godmother. She was my Bruce Willis. Mm -hmm. She came down in a helicopter, flew down the ladder and said, grab it. (laughs) And then Brandon and I just literally didn't look back at the explosion that was our life. Welcome to Underscore, where we explore the innovative music of artists who create beyond the boundaries of classical. I'm Thomas. I'm Chrysanthi, and this is the classically trained but genre omnivorous musical world we live in that we want to share with you. Each week, a new guest pulls us into their orbit to explore their creative process, their music, and their story. We dig into their inspirations, habits, and how they function as artists living in the 21st century. Then, at the very end, Chrysanthi and I leave you with our old, new, borrowed blue song obsessions. Today's picks have an odd coincidence. Our guest today is so cool. First of all, have you ever heard of the TV shows Weeds and Orange is the New Black? Well, Gwendolyn Sanford was and is the composer for those shows along with her writing partners. But do you know what the best part of this is? The creator of those shows, Genji Cohen, only knew about Gwendolyn in the first place because her kids were fans of her children's music band. Gwendolyn and the Good Time Gang. I love that. Only because of that, Gwendolyn and her writing partner husband, Brandon J, landed the audition to score Weeds in the first place. We're going to hear a lot of those tracks today that got them Weeds, by the way. As if that wasn't enough, Gwendolyn also has a solo project with folk Americana-flavored music, and she and Brandon wrote the music and lyrics for Romy and Michelle's high school reunion, The Musical. On this episode, we're going to get behind-the-scenes intel of Gwendolyn Sanford's super glamorous recording setup, tell you about her new music video and TV series, and perhaps ask about her accidental Spotify imposter. (laughs) It's going to be a fun one. Speaking of which, we are currently listening to her track, Freedom of the Heart, as we welcome her in. Great. So happy to have you. (laughs) Happy to be here. We've just been listening to Freedom of the Heart, which is by Gwendolyn and the Good Time Gang, technically. Yeah, actually, I wrote this. This was the first piece of music I wrote for a film called Chuck and Buck. Wait, that was for a film? It was for a film. That's amazing. The very first children's song I ever wrote, because I was working with the composers, uh, Smokey Hormel and Joey Warnaker, and they were doing the score. They couldn't get the rights to Free to Be You and Me, Marla Thomas's song from the 1970s. And they kind of turned to me and said, do you think you could write a children's song? And I said, I don't know. Send me the film. I don't know if you've ever seen Chuck and Buck. Um, it's written by Mike White. I and seen it. Oh, I know, but I Mike, but I know who Mike White is. Yeah, it's, it's a fantastically uh, provocative film about a young boy who was kind of emotionally um, arrested at 11 and used to play kind of games, private games with a friend of his, you know? Oh, I see. There was air quotes there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. His friend went on to move to L.A. and have a successful career as a music supervisor, but Mike White's character was sort of just stuck in time. Wow. When his mom died, he went to go look for his friend, his special friend. Yeah. And then that's, of course, created the conflict of the story, you know. This was the main character's favorite song, something that he listened to when he was a child. So it was sort of a theme throughout the movie, different variations showcased in the movie. Yeah, people really responded to it. I, when I first saw the film, there was no music. 
which made it even creepier. So no temp score even. No you, temp right, score so even. Right, so listeners, like, temp, usually when a composer gets the film that they're going to score, usually there's, like, some sort of a temporary score in there so that you can have, like, a little bit of a reference point. But if you've ever watched a film with no music... It's so weird. It's so weird. Like, The Birds. It's That's weird. Oh, has no so music. weird. Right? So, um, oh. yeah. It was, like, dark, and, and, and it, it really needed some kind of buffer. It needed some kind of levity. And I wrote... <laughs> this song freedom of the heart because i i really felt the innocence of the main character as disturbed as he may have been and i love the ending of that story it has a, a positive ending which i really appreciate um so that was the first time i had ever really scored to picture and i fell in love with it i was i was captivated by the storytelling you know process of writing so, responding to something a visual you know right so working on so writing the children's song for chuck and buck would you say that was the start of your children's band as well or were you already writing children's music before that probably the start of my career oh wow like your career <laughs> as a musician period. period period i was literally baroque and i was writing songs so prolifically and I had really saved up quite a library but and not children's had songs. never really oh. no this was the first time okay. that I had tried to write a children's song so I had really um had uh, was trying to put out a release and this the money that I got from that gig actually paid for my first pressing of my first CD ultrasounds I was working at the Lemley Art House Movie Theater in Pasadena, and actually Chuck and Buck was playing there. And I called Bob <laughs> Lemley up, and I was like, hi, I work at your theater. I sell popcorn and tickets, and I was wondering if you would let me sell my CD, because, you know, the song that is in this movie is playing it, uh, you know, wow. is, is featured on my CD, and he said, go for it, kid. How <laughs> oh my cool gosh. is that, though? Oh, no? my gosh. Like, he even like, mentioned me that. at Sundance. He's like, by the way, the person who wrote the song and works at my theater. That is amazing. <laughs> I know. Mark, next time you go to the movie theater and you're buying popcorn from something, you never know. Maybe they exactly. wrote music that's in the movie that you are watching. <laughs> he even let me put this little, like, cardboard poster that I had, you know, put together saying, buy the CDs. And it's as heard CD. in the movie here and Ultra i actually violet. got some good sounds i thought it was really generous of him to let me do that wow that's, that's so, so cool, cool. <laughs> wow so how did genji cohen discover your band it wasn't until a few years later you know okay. i was trucking so you along. got in you got into doing the children's music thing well i was i was trucking along with my music a few years after chuck and buck had come out a few years after that my friend he was working at Sony Publishing, and he, he got laid off, and he's like, I got to make some money. Why don't you write some more children's songs? Everybody loved that children's song. So it didn't even occur to me to write more children's songs, you know. But it was really on his encouragement um, that I should write some more, and he should pitch it around. And I said, okay, yeah, I'll do it. And they he pitched it around, and nothing happened because I wasn't, a, like, a famous celebrity doing children's music. At the time, the, the climate for children's music was pretty barren. Brandon and I said, well, we like the five songs we have, including Freedom of the Heart. Why don't we just put out a little 
you know, let's finish the album. So we'll put another five songs together and we'll send it around town to the kids' preschools and see what people think about it. Once there was a shellfish who had a lot of toys. He didn't like to share them with all the girls and boys. And when they would come over and begin to play, he'd round up all his toys and say, Mine, go away. He was a we were young. We were in our 20s. We didn't have children, so it was sort of a lark, you know? We played a couple, like, fundraiser, preschool fundraisers, and we just caught the ear of the parents who were having children at that time. And in Silver Lake, they were all very creative people, and um, I hustled, you know? I, I went basically door to door. <laughs> I walked into Storyopolis on the west side, which was a beautiful children's bookstore that's now closed, but um, I walked in with the CD. I said, I got this CD. She's like, great. She took it back. She she came back like five minutes later and says, yes, we'll take it. In fact, why don't you play a show here? And it was this the, the show that I played at Storyopolis, the very first show that we had um, that Genji Cohen was there wow. with her two-year-old son. Truly making your own luck, like making it. Yeah, just walking yeah. in, selling selling door-to-door. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like the dead in the old days. <laughs> and then I guess when you live in L.A., once in a blue moon, you might meet someone like the pr- creator of Weeds. Uh, yeah. Can I can I ask? Um, besides the um, lyrics and the subject matter of a children's song, is there something different musically about it when you're creating those pieces? Children's music. Yeah. Yeah. Like, how do you approach a children's song? You know, differently than I do my folk band um, material. The, the folk songs were always a collaboration between me and the instrument. The children's songs came as little gems that I would think up on a walk. You know, if I was on a long walk, I might create a song. It was really the first time that I started taking the music that was in my brain out of my brain without using any instruments. And um, when we tracked them, you know, I would play guitar. Brandon would play a lot of the instruments. But they came from, it wasn't a collaboration with an instrument. It came from inside my mind, my heart. Right, <laughs> like right. Lyrically, do you mean? or Lyrically, the melody. I just didn't, it, it wasn't a collaboration. Nor You know, um, and funny enough, some people, they kind of smirk and, oh, children's music, that's so sweet. But children's music has is so diverse you every genre you can you dive into it you can create a children's song out of any genre in the world and it's children's music but you're able to explore music through this genre in a way that you might not be able to in another setting right so I was really lucky that it showed me how to bring variation to my writing that I hadn't Explored, you know, my my folk stuff is very unique. It's it's only Gwendolyn. It doesn't go very far into other realms. Teach me to let go and reach my all-time low. To search your undertow and flop around until I'm choking on your phone. Um, and in the children's music just really branched out and had a lot of fun learning what music could do and it kind of taught me what I needed to know as far as scoring for television in a lot of ways to to be diverse within a 
uh, structured, which I think television music very structured. Um, it, it calls for that. You you have to be able to create, uh, you know, a jingle or some kind of like horror, you know, cue or some kind of bossa nova real quick or some kind of muzak you know like these are yes. the things that the producers call on you to create so you have to be able to dip in and provide those cues for them and also create the sound of the show that's uniquely its own there's it, this wonderful moment in weeds where um I think you created a commer- like a commercial. Huskaroo, Huskaroo. Yes. <laughs> Huskaroo, Huskaroo. You're beautiful in all the things you do. And your brand is Huskaroo. Huskaroo, let's you be you. Huskaroo, let's you be you. Yeah, that was great. That was so fun. I did so many things um, in Weeds that... that you know, we're off the beaten path. Yeah. Fun. Can you tell us what you used as your audition for Weeds? For Weeds, there was over 100 submissions. Um, Like an open call. Well, I'm not exactly sure how it went down, but in our case, they gave us an episode that had no music in it and gave us the spots to put music in. Um, And we put what we thought would be appropriate. And we used the sounds that we had already been developing. You know, um, Weeds is sort of a, a mix of Brandon's piano style and my guitar style all blended together. Um, and we had already been playing in bands um, for a couple of years. So we just did what we do, you know, and we had a lot of fun. And of course, we were so overjoyed when they called us up and said guess what we love your music <laughs> and we want to give you this sh- the, the the show and we're like what <laughs> because at that time we didn't have pro tools i mean we literally auditioned the episode that they gave us in my friend's bedroom because he was the only person we knew that had pro tools <laughs> you wow. know so we just quickly got pro tools and we worked 16 hour days trying to figure out how pro tools worked and composing at the same time and i mean if you listen to the second season i feel like okay you can hear where we're kind of um not rusty we're not rusty because we did create a world but by the the fourth season i mean it was like there's it's night and day you know what i mean it's like oh yeah we got this we got this and things are sounding a lot better and being recorded a lot better and we're very very lucky to have gone to the university of genji cohen you know uh, (laughs) uh, learning by doing right diving in the deep end Right. Yeah. Can we hear some of those audition tracks now? Sure. And I think Genji was looking for something outside the box. She was looking for composers who weren't doing what every composer likes to do, you know. She was looking for a unique sound for her show and I'm not sure any submission sounded like that necessarily. <laughs> yeah, what's interesting is like toy pianos, I the only context I normally hear them in are like in folk bands <laughs> or children's music. Yeah. Really. Well, um, we got both. Just a lot more of a whimsical 
world, not necessarily the classical world. Yeah, and I had this style of guitar playing where I loved to play in sevenths, like almost entirely. <laughs> so it, it gave this off-kilter feeling that, you know, things are going along. It's a beautiful day, but you're also on a trap, like it's a tight rope walk. And with Nancy's whole thing, I feel like it was a tightrope walk all the way through. We were all just waiting for her to fall off, and she she all she always got back Very on. Close. Yeah. Nancy's Very the main close. character for those who haven't watched Weeds. <laughs> but, so, um, so this idea of of diving in the deep end was there any doubt in your minds in the beginning? Like, can we do this? No, not for years. Then the doubt started to set in. <laughs> we 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 were like, wow, we were so confident. And, you know, the more you go into, um, the more you know, the less you know. You right. know what I mean? It's that kind of... Are you glad that you yeah, didn't know? I'm glad I didn't know. Yeah. yeah. How rigorous TV would be and how hard it could get. Yes. Yes. I'm so glad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I wish I knew a lot less. Personally. The producing team um, was so supportive of the sound that we had created they really gave us a lot of freedom. And without that freedom and encouragement and thumbs up, you know, when we'd come to deliver the cues, I don't know where, you know, if we had, if we would have moved forward. It wasn't a path that I necessarily sought. It was, it was definitely a treasure that I found or I was discovered in Hollywood. It, it really feels like that. Yeah, you have the story that people dream of. I do. Yeah. I do. And it's incredible because, you know, the Good Time Gang was such a big hit. Everybody was throwing business cards at us. There was a big bidding war between this big corporation and that big corporation. And and it went on for so long that it was like, oh, yeah, this is going to happen. But it actually didn't happen. There was a big merger and people got fired. And, like, I was literally watching everything that I had built for the Good Time Gang go up in flames. And Genji Cohen was, like, my fairy godmother. She was my Bruce Willis. Mm -hmm. She came down in a helicopter, gave me, flew down the ladder and said, grab it. (laughs) And then Brandon and I just literally didn't look back at the explosion that was our life, you know. We were so busy diving into this new world that she had... Um, offered to us, we didn't have time to cry, <laughs> you know, and we've never looked back. It's been over 12 years now. This is remarkable. Like, Thomas, like, I, I would you say that Gwendolyn is our first guest who didn't grow up b- breathing music, living and breathing music? Yeah, probably. This is yeah. Just amazing. amazing. But, Let's, you know, I think it's also just a, a good lesson that you. it wasn't lucky. You know, like you were working and, you know, like, and you were there doing it. Mm-hmm. And so it didn't just happen. You yeah. Know? No, I am a really hard worker and I just follow, you know, I follow what I'm passionate about. And as far as not br- growing up living and breathing music, I will say, um, yes, it wasn't something that I was playing, you know, my entire childhood and then going and getting my degree in and that kind of thing. But, my dad and mom had a group like a Peter, Paul, and Mary. We did a lot of singing in the house. My brother was in a lot of great bands through his teenage years that um, I was able to kind of show up for. So I was surrounded by music mm. and musicians. And I was 
you know, very into singing and dancing until I took my first acting class. And then I was just like, oh, this is so fun. So I started doing theater. And I will say that all the theater that I did, I did it for about, seriously, for 10 years. And all the theater experience that I have, this is storytelling experience that I have, I think gives me an edge because what I'm doing is interpreting script. I'm interpreting a visual story. Um, and you have to have an instinct for that. And I think that that muscle that I was developing as a, you know, actor was, is, is just, it was just primed. It was the muscle that I needed, you know. So I think every composer should be a dramatist, you know. They're telling a story. They're bringing emotion to the piece through music. So they're acting with music. So uh, skimming treetops, what is this? One of the very first cues that we uh, wrote, you know, Nancy was a drug dealer, so she had to watch her back a lot. And this was a danger cue for her. It's a beautiful danger cue. <laughs> Gosh. Yeah, she she had a, a double life. I think it evokes a little bit of like, you know, the hidden mystery, the underbelly of Nancy Botwin's suburban world. Had a lot of colors to it. That's what made it so interesting. Orange is the New Black has a lot of colors too. Again, is it a comedy? Is it a drama? Can you talk about creating the sound world for Orange is the New Black? Yeah, we Brandon and I had done music for a uh, a show off Broadway called Gruesome Playground Injuries. We were working with Scott Ellis, who was one of the producers on Weeds, and we submitted a few of those pieces to Genji um, and Tara when they were putting together Orange. We, you know, we wanted to submit for it, and and I think they responded to it. Didn't sound like Weeds. And I think they liked working with us, so that's a big part of getting the job, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I read in an interview, Genji, you, you said, or Genji said, I love the music you've done. It's totally wrong for the show, but you're hired because it has a point of view and it doesn't sound like weeds. Yeah, and again, Genji, she's a queen. She has many options. Many people want to work oh, yes. with Genji. Oh, yes. Um, and so I think what it came down to with Orange was that she loved us and, and we love her. <laughs> and um, she's, that's what she said. She's like, I, I like what you submitted. It's not the sound of the show, but you got the job. And we toiled uh, for a few months trying to come up with the sound. finally was, ah, it's going to sound like a chain link fence. It's going to sound like a guitar. It's going to sound like a cavernous hallway with no acoustical benefits at all. It's, like, it's going to have this lonely sound 
It's gonna have guitar with delay of just like time ticking away and it finally got to a point where we all were like in agreement. This is the sound. This is unique and it's it feels like the show. So we we did this cue of when Piper was walking up to prison for the first time and getting the first looks at all the other prisoners who she will be spending time with. Um, and this was the winner. How often do you send something off and you just wish you had more time to where you wanted to be with it? Or is it just nature of the business? Not often, honestly. I do the very best that I can. And lucky for us, our producers are very musical. And I'll be in the room with the, the review thinking I'm, I'm, I've done the very best that I can in the time that was given, you know, and, and this is what came out. And one of the producers will be like, what if we start it like three seconds later? And it'll change the whole cue. And I'll be like, oh, why didn't I think of that? You know, or they'll say something, you know, they'll give us a note for a review. And I'm like, oh, of course, die. You know, of course that's the right thing. Um, so that happens. Mm -hmm. uh, um, every so often and I just so appreciate their input. It sounds um, like you're really great at taking feedback. That is not something all yeah, composers can say. It, you absolutely can't take it personally. You have to have a hide of a rhinoceros. <laughs> Seriously. And that acting that I did for all those years I mean talk about rejection. It's water off my back. You know I'm not I don't have any skin in it personally. I want the cue, the music, to be whatever the producers want it to be, you know. And uh, it's a you're providing a service, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You're in a service job. That's what composing is. You're in the service of the producers of the TV or the director if it's a movie. Um, customer service, yeah, absolutely. That's all what it's all about, giving them what they want. So you have a new single. Bad man. It's a video. <laughs> you best be getting while the getting's good. You say you wanna massage me. Well, I'm sure you would. How many women have you treated this way? We do the work, you take the credit, make us wave our pay. Who is a fair I wrote the chorus of Bad Man in a kind of in a response to an equal pay situation. And I, I felt good, it was an outlet. Songwriting's such a tool for self-reflection and whatever, so I just kind of put it away, put it on the back burner. But when the Harvey Weinstein uh, thing came out, uh, I, I read Selma Hayek's interview in particular about Frida and her experience working on that movie, and it really got me. It really made me mad because of how hard she worked and what a, you know, like um, just, you know, queen she was all the way through, just checking off his boxes, you know, getting all, and then having him not even pay her, you know? So I wrote this, I wrote the first one, then and then Donald Trump, obviously we were all kind of uh, surprised by the election and things were coming out about him. And, and then I kind of put it on the back burner and then, you know, all the, the evening news, uh, several people got kind of called out on 
their harassment issues the evening news and then the Brett Kavanaugh thing happened so it was like well I gotta finish this song and I had lunch with my friend I said I think I'm gonna make this video this week do you think I'm crazy if I direct it she's like yes she produces things she's like yes but you can you know do it at my boxing gym it got you know some pretty good hits in in a week uh, when we posted it on YouTube um, and it will be debuting on Diddy TV oh. on November twentieth. Uh, Thanks for telling us about that. We're definitely going to put links to that in the show notes. Um, <laughs> it's and got now- a little SNL flavor, um, but you know, I thought when this whole thing came down, I was like, you know, somebody needs to s- to write a song about this, like Randy Newman style. You know what I mean? Totally. And I was yeah. like, oh my God, Randy Newman's not going to do it. <laughs> I have surprise, to do surprise. it. I have to do it. You know, right. it's, it's it's a woman's issue, you know, so, mm-hmm. yeah. And now it's time for the lightning round questions where we ask each guest the same six questions. All right. What genre is your music? Folklore. Love it. What is your performance ritual? I love to warm up my voice and play my songs without singing them. So in your head. Um, a modern tech tool that's extremely helpful to your practice. A metronome. <laughs> Me too. A failure that turned out for the best. Not getting signed uh, with the Good Time Gang and having a TV show for kids <laughs> and all that stuff. <laughs> oh, gosh. So many people around the world are, like, thanking that, too. Yes. I'm sure we all love your music on those shows. Right. Um, something besides music that you're obsessed with right now. Being a good mom. I have two daughters, so. Are they Good Time Gang fans? My second one is. Oh. My first one wasn't. Oh. (laughs) Imagine this. You have a children's band before you even have children, and you're, like, you know, loved by many a child. And then then you have a child, and she's like, oh, please. (laughs) Wow, that's so funny. Now she likes it, and she likes watching my youngest um listen to it and she I think she enjoys it more watching it through her eyes definitely makes sense a piece of art that changed your life I would have to say it would be performing the insanity of Mary Gerard at 12 years old because it was my first time acting in a serious drama a dramatic piece on stage and it I just went into theater after that that was it Great, thank you so much. As we say goodbye to Gwendolyn, we're listening to her track, Fun With Cigarettes, from Orange Is The New Black. Don't turn this off quite yet, because you're gonna wanna hear our old new Borrowed Blue song recommendations this time around. We have some weird coincidences in this one. Yes, and you can find Gwendolyn online at gwendolyn.net or gwendolynandthegoodtimegang.com. Direct links are in the show notes for the episode. While you're on your phone, unless you're driving, come join our closed Facebook group, too. It's called Underscore Society, and it's a great place to learn more about the artists, get sneak peeks of the guests, and connect with other listeners of the show. Thanks so much, Gwendolyn. Always my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Let's share our old, new, borrowed blue picks for the week. Old as me, and I don't know if you know this, Chrysanthi, but I just passed my doctoral exams from USC. I'm getting closer and closer to Dr. Kotcheff. Dr. Thomas. Yes, Dr. Thomas. Uh, and part of the doctoral exams, they make you take these deep dives into some assigned pieces. And one of mine 
is old, very old, is was Beethoven's fifth piano concerto. And it was really cool to go back into this piece and discover what's so great about it. And it's a landmark work um, because historically, up to that point in history, a concerto, which is a solo instrument and orchestra. With a backing band, yes. basically, the orchestra. Yes. The soloist would not enter until after a lengthy introduction by the orchestra. But in the fifth piano concerto, nicknamed the Emperor Concerto, the soloist comes in right at the beginning, pronouncing itself as the protagonist of the piece. And we have new from Chrysanthi. So the new this week is Birdsong by Regina Spector. Regina Spector is one of the three artists who inspired me to become a songwriter and composer in the first place. And this song was written for Amazon Prime's new TV show, The Romanovs, uh, which, you know, is a Russian royal family that I was pretty obsessed with growing up. The funny thing about this, it's like such a coincidence. I didn't even think about it until later, but Regina Spector actually wrote the theme song for Orange is the New Black. So it's just a very timely pick. Um, Just came out. It's gorgeous. And in the series, it flows right into a piece by Foray called Versus from the Dolly Suite. So also a nice little classical reference there at the end. And Borrowed? Oh, I also have borrowed, and I'm so excited. This is called My Lips from Speaking by Julia Wolfe. And it's inspired by the first few piano hits in Aretha Franklin's tune, Think. So it the part where it's like, you know what I mean? Anyway, it's written for six pianos, which is, first of all, how badass is that? Six pianos. It goes into this frenzy, and it's just such a dynamic piece, uh, especially the third movement. You can also play it for one live player and tape. Yes, you know. Also, what's another coincidence? Those three reminds me of the theme song for Weeds. Little boxes. Am I the only one? You're hearing, are you hearing it too? <laughs> I'm there. I'm, you know, six okay. pianos. It's there a good we go. thing. It's a lot Thank, of keys. A lot of keys. You. Yes. All right. You have blue this week. Blue. My pick for blue is Stephen Harkey's piano trio, The Blue Studio. Stephen Harkey was part of the USC family for 25 years as composer on faculty there. He is now an Oberlin Conservatory. And the piano trio, which is violin, cello, and piano, Um, His Piano Trio Blue Studio is inspired by the blue walls of the French painter Matisse's studio. Programmatically, the piece is a sort of studio visit, where the listener becomes a visitor, leafing through movements as if a portfolio of drawings. As usual, all these links are in the show notes if you want to take another listen or add them to your playlists. Also in the show notes, you'll find a link to our super snazzy Spotify playlist for this episode, which has these songs already added on there. And that's it for today's episode of Underscore, where we explore the innovative music of artists who create beyond the boundaries of classical. 
Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed our interview with Gwendolyn Sanford, please let us know on Instagram or Twitter at underscore FM or our Facebook page at facebook.com slash underscore FM or better yet, just join our closed Facebook group underscore society. Did you like today's episode? If so, we'd really appreciate a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. We have five reviews so far. We'd love to get to ten. Will you be one of those special ones? Seriously, every piece of feedback helps us get better at what we do, and we truly appreciate you sharing the show. Once again, you've been listening to Underscore. I'm Chrysanthi Tan. I'm Thomas Kachif. And and we'll we'll see see you next time. time. Hey there, just one final note. This was the last episode of Underscore. We hope you've enjoyed these last nine guests as much as we've enjoyed speaking with them and sharing their amazing music with you. And now this would be a perfect time to make sure you're part of our Facebook group, Underscore Society, and following us in the social media places if you want to keep in touch and just be on the lookout for when our future projects are launching. Thank you again so much, and we'll see you on to the next thing.